want to be a, a, a encouragement tonight as we think about doing decisions and about the opportunity that we have to follow the Lord in decision-making process. We face decisions, sometimes very small, almost seem to be trivial decisions, and sometimes large, life-changing, family-altering, uh, future-changing decisions. No matter what decision it is, you can take this principle and you can apply it and I pray that these tools in which we are looking at will be a help to you tonight. We're going to look at the second resource, second tool that we need. We're calling it a pure heart. Because that's what the Bible calls it. And so we're going to look at scripture here tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses number 2 and 3 in just a moment. But before we look at it, let me just kind of give a quick synopsis before we get into scripture this evening. Um, some time ago, I think I may even mentioned this last week, uh, my wife and I uh, watched a video, I think it was Free Solo, I think is the name of it, where a man climbed uh, the side of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park in the United States. El Capitan has been known to be a, a cliff or a side uh, that was just unclimbable by free hand. And he, for much, much time, began to research. It wasn't done on accident. He had charts. He had every handhold, every foot, uh, every placement of foot mapped out. Uh, he had all the research done that he knew exactly where to put each hand before he even approached the face or the summit of El Capitan. There was truly a, a lot of preparation, a lot of planning. I didn't even realize how much planning went in. This was not even just a day or a week process. This was multiple months, maybe even a couple of years, if I remember correctly, in planning and preparing it. It was a well-thought-out, well-prepared step forward. That is so vital that we understand that if someone can take a time to plan out climbing a cliff, why are we as Christians sometimes prone to make on the cuff, full of emotion, full of flesh and carnal decisions that's not based upon Scripture. We need to get away from that. We need to get away from that feeling of a moment to making a decision that's based upon the truth of God's Word. Last week we looked at this thought of a sober mind. Let me just recap here as we thought about being serious-minded. We looked at three thoughts. We said, first of all, we are decisional. We said that we are uh, educate. We make decisions that are ed educational, vocational, relational, familial, financial, practical, geographical, directional, spiritual, and missional. We make a lot of decisions, and so many things are uh, could be said in each one of those areas. We make a lot of decisions. We said we are dependent. Our dependency isn't upon us. Our dependency as children of God ought to be upon God. Thank God that we can follow Him and Him alone to make our decisions. Our mind and our thoughts ought to be focused and dependent fully upon God. I don't know what's best. I can't plan tomorrow, but I have a God who's been to tomorrow. He knows each step that I ought to take, and I can trust Him. I can depend upon Him and His mind. And I want the mind of Christ. And we said, thirdly, we are destined. Uh, we have a direction. We have a place that God intends for us to go. God has a holy calling. God knows exactly what ought to be, and God truly has a plan, and He has a plan that involves you and I. What an incredible thing it is. And if God has a plan for you and I, we as Christians ought to know the mind and ought to want to know the heart of God so we make the same decision that God wants and fully intends for us to make. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's transition tonight into our thought this evening. Or, I'm sorry, I said 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse number 2. The Bible says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. 
So here Peter is introducing, and he's introducing through what? Through a message of grace and peace. He says, I want God's favor. I want God's help. I want God's strength upon you. He says, I want God's peace to be upon you. I want you to walk in the peace of the Lord. Notice how he says here now, unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter says, I want your grace, that strength, to be done in the knowledge of our God. And the knowledge of who he is, the knowledge of what he desires, and the knowledge of him. What an important thing it is that we understand that we can know God. We can know him through his word. We can know him, and it is so vital that we understand that we, our basis as a Christian ought to be knowing God. Notice what Peter continues. According as his power, as his divine power, hath given us, to, uh, us unto all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see, it's the knowledge of him that allows us to see the calling that God wants upon or has upon our life. That, the purpose, the plan, the will that he has for you and I. But it's the knowledge of him. So much today in the Christian realm is done in a spiritualistic mindset or in a way in which is mystic or mysticism in nature. In other words, we take what is feels right at the moment or what our emotions desire, and then we find some scripture and attach God to it and say, I must be feeling right because after all, I can take this scripture and I can attach it to how I'm feeling at this moment. Well, that's not Christian thinking at all. That's very much humanistic in many ways of trying to justify what we desire and what we want instead of finding out what the will of God is and the knowledge of Him and seeing the viewpoint that God desires us to have. You see, God wants us to have a focus or a lens by which we look at, through life at. All of us have decisions. I don't know if your decisions are large in front of you or whether they seem to be trivial at the moment. But regardless of what your decisions are at this very moment, all of us do have them. How do we focus or how do we view the calling in which God has put upon us? Is it through the knowledge of Him? Is it through the knowledge of truth? The knowledge of who God is, the knowledge of what God desires. You see, we can look through many different lenses. I wear glasses or contacts normally i wear contacts on the service time uh that way i don't have to worry about hitting my spectacles and things like that but i switch between them on and on and uh, go between them but if i did not have my contacts in tonight you would all would look like fuzzy dots uh just in the room uh, i can't see much i couldn't even see the word of god sitting in front of me i would have to get it up really close very very nearsighted and uh so i I need the lens to be able to see what is actually out there. Uh, and that's a blessing. I mean, I can look straight ahead and see my wife and the beauty and the radiance and the glory in which she emanates. And uh, I like having my contacts in uh, to see her alone. And the rest of you, not so much. Uh, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but it's a blessing to have a view or a focal point to look through. You know, all of us view life through different circumstances, through different things. All of us have some areas in which we are thinking and how we are focusing on, even through Scripture. As we look through the Word of God, are we looking at the knowledge of who God is? Or are we trying to read through with our own emotions or our own feelings? I said a moment ago, there's a lot of Christianity today that is reading the Bible, interpreting all through the lens of how you feel at the moment or what you think is right at the moment or what, you, or, 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 or what your emotions are telling you at the moment. That type of thinking, that type of focal point 
will get us into a view of Scripture that is not what God intends or desires. How does this make me feel is often how we look and view through Scripture. Instead of allowing Scripture to shape and to frame our minds, instead of how I feel interpreting interpreting the Word of God, the Word of God should be giving me a framework and a mold to shape my heart, my mind in. We state often here that we are a Bible-believing church. I don't apologize for that. And I'm thankful we are a Bible-believing church. I'm thankful tonight that we look through the lens of Scripture and we try to have a God viewpoint, a viewpoint that looks through the Scripture, not through emotions, not through how we feel or the circumstances at the moment, but we try to truly allow the Word of God to shape our mind and our framework and help to guide us as the Scripture teaches and directs us. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would, please. We're going to look at a little bit of Scripture. I've got three points, and that's most of its introduction here this evening. Ephesians chapter 1, notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What an encouraging thing it is, thinking of at this church in Ephesus, as they're reading it, that the Apostle Paul, uh, missionary Paul, was praying for them. He loved these people, and he truly was praying for their health and their well-being. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, notice this, in the knowledge of Him. Again, there's that knowledge of Him, thinking through things scripturally, thinking through a framework that is Bible in understanding. Notice how He continues. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened the eyes of our understanding in other words there's two sets of eyes that each of us have we have of course our vision and then we have a spiritual set of eyes that god wants us to look through to see how god is shaping and how god wants to shape my desires and to see how things uh, god has uh, what things god has for me at this time instead of going through life and how I feel or what seems to be at the moment the best fit for me. In essence, it's separating fact from fiction. There's a lot of that today. There's a lot of fiction today. And the wisdom of God and the understanding of God is looking through Scripture to what? to understand what God has for us, to be able to understand what he is leading and how he is directing. There are some things today that try to help the decision-making process today that's become very prevalent. Psychology. I'm not against psychology when a psychology agrees with the Bible. But when psychology disagrees with the Bible... Psychology is wrong, and the Bible is right. I'm not against psychiatry unless it disagrees with the Bible. And then it's not scriptural. It's not right. You see, the Bible is our framework. And looking at the realm of truth for what is really true helps me to understand that I'm not constructing or building something in my life or building something in me that is my own truth. And how often do we see that today? My own truth. Everything says, well, that's your truth. That's my, and this is my truth. No, no, no. It's not your truth, my truth. It's the truth. There is one truth today. And we have it. It's the word of God. It's true whether or not we like it or not. It is still true. Just because someone disagrees with the word of God doesn't mean it's not true. It's still true. 
God's word is still true and it always will be. And truly, that philosophy today of trying to decipher things through one's own truth is not what God desires. Notice how Peter continue or Paul continues in Ephesians chapter one. Notice he says that your eyes of your standing be enlightened that ye may know what is it that the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, God wants us to have a framework that is based on the Bible, on the word of God, that helps us to filter and to see what we are doing and how it is right in accordance or contrary to what scripture comes from or teaches us to do. It's our framework. It shapes how we think. You see, doing decisions right ultimately comes down to this thought. Do I know what is true? And am I following that which is true to help me to understand what the next steps in my life should be? Basically, it boils down to that thought process. Is what I'm looking at true in light of Scripture? And am I following what Scripture says to help me determine what my next step ought to be? That whole thought of my truth and your truth, when we go back to that for just a moment, that is a very destructive way of looking at things. Because that means that there is no truth. Everything is relative. Everything is just contrary to what is in this moment. But God tells us that there is hope in His calling. And if we make decisions that lead us in His calling, we either make decisions that lead us further into His calling or decisions that lead us out of His calling. In other words, if I have make a decision that is based in Scripture and I'm doing so, I'm going further into what God wants me to do. I'm going deeper into the will of God. But if I make decisions contrary to that, I'm going away from what God desires. I'm going away from the hope of his calling. I'm going a decision, making a going a direction in which God did not intend. Look at verse number 19 in Ephesians chapter 1. And what is the greatness, power, uh, excuse me, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power? What an incredible thought it is as Paul, as Paul tells the church that the will of God is truly an incredible thing. It's an amazing thing. It is something truly that guides and directs. It is not something that we look at and say, okay, well, this is okay. It's all right to do the will of God, but my way is so much better. No, no, no. His way is so great. His way is so incredible that if you knew the end result of all of the decisions according to the will of God, you would not want anything different. It's like talking to some young people or teenagers, and as you teach them and help them understand about the will of God, it is looking and saying, look, if I could show you a DVD or in our culture right now, a YouTube video of your life and of how what God plans for your life, as you look at that, it would amaze you at what God wants to do in your life. It would absolutely blow your mind in ways in which you can never imagine. It might even scare you a little bit when you look at all of the different things that God wants and desires to do. But if you were to follow his will, you would look at it and say, when I compare it to the video that is being displayed of what I desire to do, they don't even relate in any way the magnitude of god's way is so much greater my way is so punitive compared to what god desires to do god's way is always better his glory his exceeding greatness of his power that he wants to use through and work through us is truly mighty it's incredible what god truly wants and desires to do his will is incredible i want you to have that thought as we go through the will of god so many things today i I don't uh, i look at uh, as i talk with people and encourage people to follow christ in the decision making process 
The devil has many deceived thinking that the will of God is horrible. It is not. It is incredible. It is incredible to be married to one woman till death do us part. It's incredible to raise a family that is following the word of God. It is wonderful to do so. It is wonderful to serve him. It is wonderful to enjoy all that God has for us. God's will is incredible. It is not without compare. It is so much better and so much greater than our hopes and dreams that we build and feel and uh, uh, solidify through our emotions could ever be. The will of God is truly what our hearts were shaped to be. And it's shaped and it gets molded through the word of God. The truth of scripture ought to be our framework. Now, let me get into our meat of subject tonight. Go to Matthew chapter 5, please. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse number 8, please. Let's think about this lens here tonight. The lens and how we're viewing Scripture, how we're viewing the decision-making process. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I don't think that this is, also, that this is only speaking of salvation. We understand that if someone is a child of God, they've been washed white as snow. Their heart is cleansed of sin. They're made a new creature. All things will become new or made new. And how incredible it is that we, with a pure heart, have that promise that we'll be with Him. We will see God in eternity. I believe in part that speaking of that, but I believe in part it's also speaking about a framework of heart, mind, a lens by viewing so. If we have a pure heart, a heart that is right before a holy God, if we view the lens of Scripture through the heart that is shaped and framed and focused upon God and His Word, it helps us to what? See God. It helps us to see how God has made and has shaped and has formed all things and how we can see His fingerprint that He wants us to find. You see, there are so many different options today. So many options. Think of someone leaving college and preparing to go to university. There's a lot of options. Which one has the fingerprint of God? That's the one that you want to find. Think of a young person looking for a spouse. There's a lot of options. But which one has the fingerprint of God? Which one is the one that God wants us to have? You see, I believe that it comes down to a moment in which we either want what God wants or we want what we want. And often, those two are different if I base it upon myself instead of God. As I'm looking across this room tonight, and I don't know of all that are watching, but I believe I'm not speaking to a group of people this evening that want something contrary to what God wants. I believe you want what God wants. You, you want to do what God wants, and you will want to disobey God. And a pure heart helps us to have that clean look or that clean lens by which to look. Notice the Bible, what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4. It, the Bible reinforces this very thought. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23. The Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Our heart is the tool that we use 
to make the decisions of life. It's how we view things. Our heart is that filter, and we'll speak of that in just a moment, that we view by. It's our lens by which we look at the framework of what God wants and desires. I'm going to give you two formulas tonight. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Two formulas tonight. I'm going to call one, first of all, what most people's decision-making process is. And I'm going to call the second one the biblical decision-making progress. Let me go back to the first one. Once again, that one is what, uh, what most people's decision-making process is. The formula goes something like this. Emotions plus desires plus logic plus best guess equals a wrong decision. Let me define that. Emotions. How do I feel? What seems right at the moment? How do I feel about this decision? How do I feel about what's being presented? And one adds to that the desires. These are very similar. Sometimes can even mesh in many ways. How I feel and how I desire can obviously be very close. This is, what do I want? And sometimes what I want leads me to feel a certain way, and how I feel leads me to want something. And they are very much, very similar in many ways, but yet they are distinct. Our emotions and our desires, what we, how we feel at the moment and what we want at the moment, plus logic. This is doing the math. This is taking out the, uh, all the figures and saying, okay, this will fit here, this will fit there. This looks like out up here. This looks like this number will work. It looks like everything should work on paper. It's weighing the pros versus the cons. Okay, I'm looking at all the pros. It looks like the pros are going to outweigh the cons in this area, and so I think this is a decision that looks to be pro- uh, 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 the way forward. But that's a very humanistic way of looking at things. It's a very humanistic way of looking at decisions because, again, it's based upon what seems to be the right uh, step. However, the problem is this, is that I can't predict the outcomes. How many people look at a stock market, look at a certain stock, and say, you know what, that looks like to be a good stock, invest in it and suddenly a start of that stock crashes it looked like it was right but logic failed logic did not come through and then it is added with the best guess upon how i feel upon what i want and upon how logic is determining uh, this is my best guess here's what i think based upon all that I've added up, and often it equals a wrong decision. But there's another decision-making process. There's a different formula. That formula is a biblical decision-making process. And the formula goes something like this. Wisdom, which if you're writing, you can put next to it truth, reality, understanding plus purpose plus obedience is this a decision in which i'm obeying god or disobeying god and truly i believe if we were to filter that i'm not going to speak about that in just a moment if we filter it out with just that simple thought is this a decision that's obeying god or disobeying god that will truly shape our framework in a mighty way. And so if we have wisdom and purpose and obedience, and we put those together, often it leads to a right decision. It leads to a right decision according to what God desires. Let me break that down once again here tonight. Wisdom. Wisdom is the right purpose or right perspective. It's the true uh, true perspective. It's reality. It's 
understanding that my perspective is finite. And here's where human logic fails. Because my, finite, my understanding is finite. I've been alive for 41 years. My experience is only for 41 years. I grew up in Northwest Ohio. I did not grow up where you grew up, nor did you grow up where I grew up. My experiences are different than your experiences, vice versa. My experiences have led me here. And if all if I do is judge upon my own experiences, I have a very small sample, a very small framework to go by. Because all I'm going is upon what I have experienced. However, if I look at wisdom, God's wisdom, the truth of what God has, my understanding suddenly is greatly enlarged. Why? Because there's an infinite God that I know. He's been to the future. He is now. He knows exactly what is needed. He knows exactly what's going to take place. He knows exactly how this decision is going to lead my life. He knows exactly what steps I should take, what steps I should avoid. He knows exactly what is right every step of the way. And if I go to God and get his wisdom, his perspective, his truth about it, what an incredible thing it is, is I open my, uh, my understanding, I open up my possibilities past my own and i open it up to a perspective that god knows that god knows is right and think about that how god shapes his calling he does so that which is good and right for us he's a loving father he's not going to call me or lead me or direct me into something that is going to be contrary to fulfilling what he knows is best for me and for you what an incredible god we have and so when i open my heart up and open my lens up to the wisdom of god it helps direct and open the possibilities up truly to what god has desired and god has framework along with that is a purpose that purpose there we can speak of a right pursuit or a godly pursuit in other words, am I pursuing what God wants me to pursue? Am I going after the one that has God's fingerprint on it? Or am I going off a direction in which I ought not? When my wife and I were dating, we began dating and we started to get uh, uh, a little serious. And as we began dating and wanted to go uh extend or continue to deepen our relationship i remember having the conversation with her about whether or not she felt like she was called to the ministry called to serve and that was important to me vital if she said you know i i like you i like being with you i didn't want to be something that she was just going to follow just because of who I was or who I am. Because I'm not the answer. I'm not something to brag about. But God wanted, I wanted her to know that it was God's calling upon her life. And so when we went through ministry, and I thank God for the years in which we've been able to enjoy ministry together that she knew that she had the calling of god upon her life so that way when there was a difficult time i understood that we were going through life together knowing this is the calling of god and not just simply how things felt at the moment that was important to me how important it is that i in my life knew that God's fingerprint was upon what would be my wife. She said, yes. She says, I feel like God has called me into the ministry. I feel like God wants me to be in the ministry. That was important. Because if she said no, it probably would have been a deal breaker at that moment. Because I knew where God was leading. And I'm thankful that God had placed a call upon her heart like mine. 
That narrowed the field considerably. Considerably. Because so many people, so many options out there, and yet, when I want, looked for the one that had God's fingerprint about having that call to ministry, that narrowed the field considerably. Not everyone does. And when we follow God's way, God's leading, God's purpose, where he is pursuing or where we are pursuing him, what an important thing it is that it helps us to narrow the field. Helps us to narrow our options considerably. And then, obedience. Obedience, as we said a moment ago, is, is it God's way? Am I doing what is right? Am I doing that which is obeying God? Or am I disobeying God? If I choose this, is it going to lead me further into the will of God? Or is it going to f- take me away from the will of God? And if it's going to take me out of that, I don't want that. I don't want to go that direction. I want to go in a way in which is going to deepen me into the will of God and not take me out of where God desires me to be. And because of that, because of these decision-making process, there are two outcomes to it. Those two outcomes are, one, wrong outcomes. Wrong outcomes. And the formula goes something like this. Disobedience. That disobedience leads to unfavorable outcomes. If a child, if one of my boys goes out and chooses to play with fire and gets burned, that's an unfavorable outcome. But they disobeyed. They know that they're not supposed to play with fire. And if they choose to disobey that a consequences happens because of that when we choose to disobey there are consequences to that sometimes christians look at this and say oh this is the great judgment of god no it's just a consequence you chose to do that which you knew was wrong and it's a natural consequence of that it is what god said was going to come to be because you chose to disobey So often people put this into the framework of grace. Well, it's all under grace. Well, I can choose to do how I want to do because after all, it's all by grace, is it not? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Grace is not liberty to sin. Grace is freedom to serve. It is empowerment. It is helping us to follow and to serve Christ. And truly, it is not, uh, grace misused that way leads to unfavorable outcomes. And then comes the reaction disobedience leads to unfavorable outcomes which leads to the reaction and this is usually where the pastor is called in or where the counselor is called in this is usually where we get the phone calls on how do i get out of this mess how do i get out of here how do i fix this i've gotten someplace i've gone someplace i should not go how do i get out of this it's kind of like this if we could call this area of the rug right here a the uh, the line or crossing the line of disobedience and going into an area of sin sometimes we as christians we look at the line and we say you know what it'll be okay and we just kind of just step as close as we can to that line just get right there like okay i'm not i'm not disobeying yet we just get right there and then we decide to just to step right over. Just, whoop, I'm there, I'm back. We just keep going back and forth. And Oh, wait a minute, lightning didn't strike. The sky didn't fall. I'm okay. Everything seemed to be all right. And suddenly, it goes from just playing with sin to now stepping over into a realm of sin. And this will lead to regrets. This will lead to a regret, a, a life full of regrets. But when decisions are done with a biblical mindset, 
it leads to right outcomes. Right outcomes begin with obedience. That right outcome or the, excuse me, that right outcome comes because of obedience with endurance. And this is so, so key. Please, please understand scripture here. When we choose to step out and do that, which is right. Often that decision to do right is hard. Often it comes with a trial of affliction. Often there's some testing Life gets harder initially. And that is why you need to have a good case. That's why you need to have a good, solid foundation to that decision. Because when life gets harder through this time of endurance after the obedience, it is often very quick to say, you know what, I'm going to go a different direction. I thought this was the right step. But apparently, since things got so much harder, I need to go a different way. Understand, when we step out by faith, that stepping out of faith comes with a time in which we need to understand that what we took that step upon was right according to the Word of God. And doing so, taking that step is so important to understand that it was based upon the Word of God and built upon according to Scripture. Because when it's built upon according to Scripture, when those moments of, uh, 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 of trial come, you could say, no, I made that decision because of this framework, because of this Scripture, because of how God framed my heart in this area, and this is exactly how I found that decision based in accordance to the word of God. And even if I step out and fail, I still fail God's way. Think of Noah. He preached 120 years. He did that which was right. But only eight people got on the ark. And when he got on that ark and when he heard those yells and screams of those who were drowning in the flood he did the decision right even though in a retrospective or in a result oriented society we would say that he failed but he failed god's way what an incredible thing it is that noah truly was a man who lived with a right outcome because he chose to follow scripture and when we add obedience to endurance, knowing that when I make that decision, often that decision afterwards, it's going to come with some endurance, with some affliction to it, with a time where things get harder, but then things begin to shape and frame and God begins to show that it's a right response. It was a right step. And it with, brings with it delights and, of course, an outcome that is pleasant in God's eyes and in our eyes. It is learning to start out with that obedience. And as we step out with obedience, it is watching God shape and frame and, wor and work and grow in our lives. Uh, think of planting a tree. Plant a tree, it starts out as a seed. If you wanted to enjoy a fruit, from a tree, it would be good to start to plant a tree, what, 10, 20 years ago? Because then you would be enjoying it now. But if you didn't plant a tree 10 years ago, the next best time would be today. Because you know that in so many years, you'll be able to enjoy the fruit of that. Will there be a time of endurance? Will there be a time of patience and of growing and maturing and watching that fruit develop? Absolutely. But you know that with the right love and care and with the right nursing of that tree that there will produce favorable incomes. And if we allow the word of God, truth, to shape our heart, it helps us to see a framework in which we can grow and live thereby. Because our heart is easily deceived. It's easily deceived. Years, years ago, I saw, <laughs> I saw uh, 
a game with some teenagers that I've thought about it, and uh, we might do it here one day, I don't know, where you take a 10p coin, and if you were to put it on your thumb and press it into your forehead as hard as you can, and uh, you do so for a time, and you take your thumb off, it'll stay there. You actually have to pull it off if you push hard enough and press hard enough. It'll just stay right there on your forehead. Well, if you have another friend that you're wanting to uh, have uh, a little bit of laugh with or you want to be a little mischievous thereby, uh, if you were to have them come and uh, put that 10P on their forehead and press it on their forehead as hard as you can and state if you can shake this 10p coin off your head you can't touch it you can't peel it off you can't scrape it off you just got to by simple uh force and momentum shake it off of your head and if you can do so and you reach in your pockets and you pull out a 20 pound bill and say you can have this 20 pounds if you can shake this off of your head But what they don't know is that when you let go of that 10P that's imprinted on their forehead, you quickly just peel that 10P coin off. And everyone else knows that there's there's nothing on their forehead. They think there's 10P on there. uh, And then they start shaking their head. And it is insane to watch how people have almost put themselves into the hospital trying to get that 10p off their forehead when there's nothing on there at all they'll go to the extremes to shake and do all these things no matter if it's a teenager or if it's an adult they just go to the extreme why to try to get that out there but there's nothing there their heart as deceived our heart can deceive us our heart can take us into an area in which we ought not to go. Let me give you three thoughts here. All of that was introduction. I told you the introduction was a long part. Let me give you uh, three thoughts. Let's see if I can do this in about eight minutes. Uh, let's see here. First of all, the heart defined. The heart defined. If we can de- define our heart, and our heart is truly the lens in which we're looking at, if I can define it very practically tonight, Let's call it your thinker, your feeler, your wanter, and your chooser. Your thinker, your feeler, your wanter, your chooser. It's what you want. It's what your heart desires. It's what is the totality of the inner man. If you look at the study, uh, uh, if you study scripture, if you just do a study on the heart, you'll find that it is often described as the soul, as that seating place of the mind, will, emotions, and desires. It is that inner man, it is the inner being, if if you will. It is that in which we filter things through. Have you ever used a water filter? Those jugs with the little water filter in it, and you pour water in, and it's supposed to trickle down, and uh, supposed to filter out the water and to make it uh, uh, better to drink or cleaner uh, to enjoy. I don't know if they work or if they're really just kind of full of gimmick. They might work. I don't know. Uh, Of course, I have golf stones, so maybe they do work. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, 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 But what they use that filter, of course, to filter through the water. And our heart is truly is that way. It is that filter that we filter our decisions through and that filter can be god centered notice what the bible says in 1 samuel chapter 16 very quickly look at what the bible says in verse number seven but the lord said unto samuel look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because i have refused him for the lord seeth not as man seeth for man looketh on the outward appearance but the lord looketh on the heart God sees what's on the heart because he knows if the heart is filtering right, it's going to lead to what? To right decisions. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 8, the Bible says, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There are some people who have a heart that they have deceived themselves and they've filtered their decision-making process into doing things that are very contrary to the Scripture. I've had married men tell me it is God's will for me to marry this girlfriend I've had on the side of my marriage. 
What? That is so anti-Bible. And yet, they have filtered their heart. Why? Because, uh, in a way that is far from God. Our heart defines, our heart filters as it were. Our heart helps shape our viewpoint of how we are going to make decisions. It is that filter in which we ought to be very, uh, very careful that it is pure as Jesus instructed in Matthew 5. Secondly, I'm doing good. The heart directed. This is setting our heart in a direction. A right heart, a right direction, or a wrong direction. Which direction are we going to go? Reminder that Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart is prone to deceive. However, it can be set to follow the will of God. Yes, it can be set to deceive, but it also can be set to follow the will of God. It can guide us away from what God wants, or it can lead us towards what God desires. The Bible tells us in Psalms 112, verse number 5, A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be an everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil things. Why? Because his heart is what? Fixed. Trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he, does see, until he see his desires upon his enemies. Yes, our heart can lead us in, deceives, in deception, but if our heart is fixed upon the Lord, it can lead us into the will of God. It can lead us into that which is right. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalms 57, 7, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Psalm 73, 26, My heart or my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our heart can lead us into where God wants us to be or it can lead us away from that. In order for our heart to be prone to or to be fixed towards God, it needs to be purified, it needs to be directed. And how do we do that? We do that through vetting. Through a purification process. What is that process? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, we've been dealing with it on Saturday nights, of dealing with known sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess known sin, if we confess what we know has led us into, or we've disobeyed God and we've, clean, we've confessed that and we forsake that, it helps us truly to have a pure heart. But not only does yielding or confessing sin or confessing known sin in our heart help us to purify that heart, but also yielding our heart, yielding our heart to God. You see, our heart will lead us to where we've yielded it to. Our heart will take us to where we've yielded it to go. Your truth will govern your thoughts, your emotions, your will. But His truth leads us in a better way, a better path. A place in which our wants and desires are shaped in alignment to the truth of Scripture. It changes the way we look at life. A pure heart. Think of a 17-year-old girl who is emotionally, passionately, fervently in love with a young man. Emotionally in love. That's different than godly love. All she can think about is being with this young man, being with this, uh, being with this, uh, 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 being with that young boy. But everyone and all her counselors, her parents, everyone looks around and knows that that boy is not a good boy. 
He's not one that she should be entertaining, one she should date, one she should ever entertain or even be emotionally in love with. They know in 10 years she's, uh, that, that young man is not going to pay, uh, pay any bills. They, they see that he's not going to be in church. Uh, they see the hypocrisy and they see the deception in his life and they know that that man is not a man that that daughter ought to be with, that girl ought to be with. And this young girl has a decision. Does she trust God more than her emotions? Maybe she goes and she seeks a counselor. Maybe she speaks with her father. Says, what should I do? I want to be with him. But I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing people say that that's not a good thing. And she has a choice. Is she going to choose to listen to those who want the best for her and trust her counselors, trust uh, her father and say, I'm going to choose to end that relationship as hard as it may be? And she does. She chooses to end it. And for three months, she cries herself to sleep. For three months, she's in agony, weeping, and just emotionally uh, emotionally broken because of this decision. But after about three, three and a half months, she begins to understand that that boy is now dating three other girls, and two of those girls... She, he was dating while she was, uh, while he was dating her, and uh, now this young man is starting to lead into a de- very deceptive life, and she begins to see it, and she begins to understand, and the emotions begin to settle, still hurting and still raw. And after about four months, that crying goes from every night to maybe just one time a week, as she's beginning to see and to recognize that that was a good decision. Six months later, she's introduced to another young man and she begins a relationship there and everyone is for that. Everyone sees that that man has a good man, has a good heart, is wanting to follow God and everyone, including the parents, are for it and say, yes, that is a young lady in which you should, or, 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 or a young man in which you should date. That is a young man that truly we approve of. And a year later, they're married and 10 years later, she looks back and she says, Thank God I didn't marry that boy. Thank God I didn't go that direction. I've seen what he's become. Thank God I listened to counselors. Thank God I allowed my heart to be led by truth and not by the emotion of a moment. So many times our heart and our emotions can take us a direction in which they ought not to go. And it leads us to wrong outcomes, to a life full of regrets. A heart needs to be purified. Lastly and quickly, the heart decontaminated. To purify the heart, our heart needs to be cleansed. The Bible tells us in Psalms 119, verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalms 51, we see in verse number 1 through 10, we're not going to look at all these verses for sake of time tonight, uh, but if you were to read those, you'll see David asking the Lord to create in him a clean heart, to renew a right spirit, to wash him of the sin that was in and uh, uh, that stained the heart of his being. In Psalm 139, verse number 23, notice what the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their heart hearts god can take his law and write it in our heart god can take his truth his word and write it in our hearts purifying our heart and as it purifies it reshapes our heart it reshapes us isaiah 64 8 states this way we are the clay and thou art the potter we and we are all the work of thine hand god can take a heart that is bent on deception and shape it and form it and refocus it to be focused upon the truth of what scripture desires 
Ezekiel 36, verse number 26 says this, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. God teaches us that our hearts can lead us into what God desires, into the will of God, or it can lead us out of it. God's word cleanses. God's word decontaminates our heart. How important it is that we understand that the pure in heart shall see God shall see God in his mighty work, shall see what God wants and desires. What an incredible thing it is that we get to see God in action in our life if we approach decisions with a resource of a serious mind and with a pure heart. And we'll continue with resources next week. We gotta get, we gotta, we got to be done so much more wanted to say but time doesn't allow clock is not our ally one day we'll have eternity amen uh, let's let's pray tonight father i thank you for